You're listening to Hypnosis Podcasts. Hypnosis Podcasts. You'll hear from dedicated individuals committed to advancing the field of hypnotism. This is an open forum for free exchange of ideas. Our mission of pursuing and achieving our big idea. To do everything possible to have our field recognized as a separate and distinct profession. We never get bored of telling folks that we help ordinary, everyday people with ordinary, everyday problems using hypnosis. We're consulting hypnotists. Learn from obvious expert professional hypnotists. Now, your host of Hypnosis Podcasts, this is Mark Eldridge. Again, welcome to another episode of the Hypnotist Podcast. And with us today is Elton Eldridge, our co-host, and he's uh, got some great uh, information to share with our great guest today. Go ahead, Dad. Thank you, Mark. And today, our guest is the Reverend C. Scott Giles. And Scott, well, what, what a tremendous contribution this hypnotist, this minister, uh, does for, I think, so many people in the world, actually, because he is so guiding to our hypnotists in the National Guild of Hypnotists. He's a member of the advisory board of the National Guild of Hypnotists, the legislative liaison to our AFL, CIO, NFH, Guild 104. And Dr. Giles' practice in Chicago area is a specialty practice in complementary medical hypnotism. And, and while most of our hypnotist colleagues are familiar with your hypnosis work with medical issues and with local, local mm-hmm. legal issues as, as well, Scott, can you share with us how and when you became involved with Ericksonian hypnosis? Sure. Actually, from the very beginning of my formal training, when I went to train with hypnotism. Uh, I, I was uh, uh, trained by a practice affiliated with Rush uh, Medical Center here in Chicagoland. And the practice uh, in, was uh, inclu- included the work of Dr. Richard Horowitz. And uh, uh, Rick was <coughs> actually the, the president of the American Psychological Association's uh, Board of Psychological Hypnosis, Division 30 of the APA. At, uh, and he was a direct student of Milton Erickson. So all of his training was heavily influenced by his Ericksonian orientation. So I picked that up right from the very beginning. So for the 30 years I've been in practice doing uh, complementary medical hypnotism, uh, my work has always been influenced by Erickson. The, uh, also at the time when I was a, a parish minister, there was, which I was for 13 years, there was a, uh, a group in my church that was studying the Ericksonian literature. I was part of that group as well. So it gave me kind of a leg up in understanding this material. So uh, now that we have uh, 
you know, kind of completed work on the complementary medical hypnotism certification curriculum and the hypnotic oncology curriculum in the guild, um, I was requested to consider uh, teaching my understanding of Ericksonian hypnosis, and we'll be doing that starting at the Solid Gold. And uh, I've got a three-plus-hour uh, presentation on it. And then uh, at the convention, I will be doing a one-day certification in Ericksonian hypnotism uh, in the pre-convention for anyone who wants to actually have a guild certification in these techniques. That's fantastic. Let me ask you what would be the difference between, basically, what will happen at the Solid Gold Weekend next month and then compared to the NGH pre-convention certification in Ericksonian hypnotism. Sure. Well, what I'm going to do with the solid gold is I have all the three hours is going to be, uh, you know, an overview. Of, we're going to do some practice. I'm going to have people practice uh, their metaphoric communication. But uh, at the uh, the one-day certification, because we have so much more time, the, I'm actually going to have people do uh, more work with each other. Uh, the participants in the class will actually construct their own uh, Ericksonian inductions and work with each other to uh, to really master the technique and the language patterns. Um, so uh, those who come to the Solid Gold are going to get a good uh, orientation to Erickson, and I'm going to be focusing on techniques that you can add to whatever style of hypnosis you do, even if you are a practitioner of the Elman or Omni system or the Five Path system, uh, you're still going to be able to come away from that with some additional techniques that you can use to enrich your pre-talk experience with your clientele. And uh, then uh, when we get to the convention, we're going to be doing more of the, the formal kind of uh, inductions that uh, Erickson did. Perfect. Does that help? I want to go... Can I talk a little... Yeah. Okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, well, I'm going to go back to the Ericksonian in a minute. I want to go to you for a moment and ask... Why did you initially become and want to become a professional hypnotist yourself? You were a parent. Well, I go back to I go back to I was ten years old and I saw Owen ah. McGill perform his concert of hypnotism on the Art Linkletter show, and I was enchanted by that. I sent away from my first book on hypnosis, which was advertised in the back of Superman comic books. Uh, you have this uh, uh, p picture of this uh, voluptuous woman in a gown that she had applied with a brush and a roller lying on a uh, uh, couch with this hypnotist who looked a lot like Ormond McGill uh, standing over her, and lightning bolts were coming out of his fingers. And I actually found out that Ormond McGill actually uh, created that graphic. And the, oh, the really? book was How to Hypnotize. Yeah, it was. So how to hypnotize? So I I proceeded to uh, to read that with quarter. I, I purchased it with quarters. I saved up for my allowance. Got myself into a tremendous amount of trouble by hypnotizing my classmates in, in grade school, and uh, maintained that interest throughout my entire career. When I uh, I earned my doctoral degree, and uh, when I was at, uh, in my postdoctoral work, I had the opportunity to study hypnosis formally, and uh, that just honed my uh, my interest. You know, we, we ministers talk to people in our sermons, and they usually ignore what we say. When we talk to them using hypnosis, they actually change. So it's ah. feast the heck out of feast the heck out of preaching. 
and especially with Ericksonian-style hypnosis, where we look at the complex use of language, where you can influence people without them even being consciously aware that you're doing that, uh, that it becomes a very effective mechanism for change that bypasses resilience. Now, a lot of people, for those people listening who don't know who Milton Erickson was, he was a psychiatrist. He was born in 1901, died in 1980. Um, he survived polio at the age of 17. He wasn't supposed to survive. Uh, his doctors kind of gave up on him. But he began a, a discipline of self-hypnosis that actually turned himself around and allowed him to uh, uh, to really uh, master uh, his his body. And that was such a powerful experience, he began to specialize in hypnosis when he became a medical doctor and a psychiatrist. Uh, he also became really aware of the importance of nonverbal communication or metaverbal communication, the use of language, uh, because he himself was both colorblind and dyslexic. The only color he could see is purple which is why when you uh, look at Eric, uh, books about Erickson, they're typically bound in purple. Uh, the, uh, so for Erickson, every act of communication was something he had to study consciously because he didn't have a lot of the cues. Uh, you know, he was also, by the way, tone deaf. He didn't have a lot of the cues that we get in metaverbal, nonverbal communication. So he studied it consciously and realize things about it that the rest of us were just taking for granted. The problem with Erickson's work is he never formalized his system. I think most hypnotists are really, really uh, uh, familiar with the work of Dave Elman and the Elman induction, the Omni School, and the Five Path School uh, with Cal Banyan is built on it, too. Um, The thing with, with the Elman system is we have the system. David Elvin wrote a book. He explained what he is doing, what his presuppositions are. Erickson never did. Uh, he never wrote any books. We have the four volumes of the collected papers, but they're just that. They're collected papers. Uh, he never sat down with anyone and explained what he was doing and why he was doing it. So after his death, his students formalized their understanding of his system, and they're all different. If you read Yapto, you read Rossi, you read uh, uh, the Langtons, you get uh, completely different understandings of how Erickson did hypnosis and what it means to do hypnosis in the Ericksonian style. And that's true of me, too. I mean, all I have is my appropriation of the Erickson material, but that's all anyone has. Now, I'm likely to take some heat when I do this program at the Solid Gold uh, because Erickson became important in neurolinguistic programming, which uh, is based upon studying uh, the work of Erickson, Virginia Satir, a family therapist, and the Gestalt psychologist Fritz Perls. Now, I've studied Perls at the graduate level, but I, I, I go... Back to a first-generation student of Erickson, and also a first-generation student of Virginia Satir, when I was studying for my doctoral degree. So I kind of go back to the to original sources here. Uh, the people who came in Erickson's wake, his his first-generation students, people like Rossi Yapko, began to set limits 
on who could learn Ericksonian techniques. Basically, they tried to restrict it to licensed uh, healthcare providers. The Erickson Foundation uh, does not admit into membership any longer. They did at one point. In fact, at one point I was affiliated with it. Uh, they do not admit into membership anyone who isn't a licensed healthcare provider. You can't even buy, you know, the videos of Erickson's work from them without being a licensed healthcare provider. Now, these people are largely academics, and their you know their primary income comes from teaching. So, they are motivated. It's, I think it's also true to some people who are the the gurus in neurolinguistic programming. They're motivated to make the system seem more complex than it needs to be, because that way you want to buy their books and take their training. Actually, the Ericksonian approach to hypnosis is naturalistic. Uh, it's very organic. It flows with intuition. It's not that difficult to do. And uh, so that's what I'm going to be emphasizing when I do the program at the Solid Gold. But these techniques are things that anyone can use, regardless of your hypnotic loyalties, and it's going to make your work more effective. Let me give you an example of that. One of the things that... Uh, that, that, that Erickson emphasizes the use of metaphors. And you know, if you use metaphors uh, in your suggestion pattern with clients, you're going to get better results. But apart from that, even just in conversation, if you use metaphors, the clients are going to increase their rapport with you because they're going to say, okay, this person gets me. Now, a metaphor is talking about something as if it were something else, as a way of showing a different perspective. For example, if I were to say, uh, I think you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I am not right. saying you appear to have fallen to the floor. I want you to grab your footwear and tug on it. I'm not saying that, and that isn't what I want right. you to do. What I want you to do is to take personal responsibility for uh, solving your problems. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps is a metaphor. Similarly, if um, I were to say to someone, well, I think you're 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 beating a dead horse with a stick here. I do not mean that you appear to have found the carcass of a horse and are beating it with a wooden rod. Uh, what I'm saying is you're doing something that can't succeed because you don't matter how much you beat the dead horse, it's not going to move. So uh, those are metaphors. They're ways of expressing something to a person that shows you understand their predicament, but at the same time. Uh, uh, you are suggesting a different view of their predicament that might be helpful. So metaphors are not hard to do. At the Solid Gold and at the, at the convention, I'm going to be doing a lot with metaphors. I'm going to be asking participants to actually create their own. In fact, at the convention with the, with the full day course, I'm going to ask them to have an actual conversation with each other using only metaphors. It's not that hard to grasp, but I have on my desk here uh, one, a book by uh, one of Erickson's students, uh, uh, Stephen Langton, and his wife, Carol Langton, Tales of Enchantment, Goal-Oriented Metaphors for Adults and Children in Therapy. It's 412 pages. Now, if you read that book, it's a good book. If you read that book, you're going to have a very deep understanding of metaphors. But you do not have to have that kind of understanding to be able to use metaphors effectively in your consulting hypnotism practice. And what we get in the Ericksonian kind of side of the profession is that pretty much 
everyone has written a 400-page book about every aspect of the Ericksonian system, making it seem incredibly complicated uh, so that, you know, you, you, you just don't want to try it unless you do all this expensive training and reading and coursework. So I'm going to try to cut through that, starting in the solid gold. That help? Can I ask? I want to ask some of the, well, the most effective uh, areas that people can be helped using the Ericksonian hypnotism in in terms of what they come for help looking for. Sure. Yeah, well, like, yeah. As, as you know, I do a lot of work with complementary medical hypnosis. My uh, my practice is a specialty practice with uh, three areas of focus, which is uh, uh, oncology, cancer care, right. uh, bariatrics, which is weight weight control, and uh, fertility, which is the enhancement of natural fertility. Um, people who come for these problems uh, often come; they're very uncertain. Uh, in the case of the cancer patients, they're often frightened. Uh, and very upset by the diagnosis they've received. And so you're not going to be able to just say, close your eyes and, and relax, you know, which is, you know, or do the, do the Dave Elvin induction. They've got too much else going on in their head. Erickson gives you a way around that. The Ericksonian techniques are indirect. Uh, they're based upon how you say what you say. A lot of the Ericksonian system is based on the notion of covert or conversational hypnosis based on the notion that all people go into trance without realizing it repeatedly multiple times during the day. Trance is a naturally occurring state, and there are many kinds of trance states, and we can use whatever our clients present with. So if I get a client that's you know, very comfortable with their relaxation skills and uh, I want to do a deep formal hypnosis with a deduction and a deepening and suggestion management, and a, I can do all that with them. But if I get someone who is really, really frightened, highly anxious, you know, high energy, uh, negative emotion, um, I can still guide them into whatever trance state they're capable of in that session and utilize it to help them. So it's a much more flexible system or, or philosophy of hypnosis than most people realize. And it has a way of bypassing resistance, in my opinion, a way the say the Elman style can't. The Elman style is very uh, formulaic. I mean, this is what you do first, this is what you do second, you wait for this to happen, then you do this. Nothing like that happens in Erickson. And the Ericksonian system, everything is yes. It's a totally client-centered system. Whatever the client does is fine. We're going to use whatever the client does. Uh, this is actually called in Ericksonian hypnosis the utilization principle. Nothing can ever go wrong at a session. If I want to get eye closure with a client and I get that, that's great. But if I get, well, this actually happened to me at one point when I was hypnotizing someone who was a very complex person. And, you know, I was trying to get eye closure, and I quite couldn't get it. Her eyes were locked open. So I just proceeded with her eyes open with the rest of the induction. Now, realize how deep you have to be in hypnosis to have your eyes open unblinking for 20, 25 minutes. And that's what she did. Can't even imagine. So wow. she would she wasn't going to cooperate with me, so I utilized her, resi her resistance and just used the fact that her eyes were locked open 
as a convincer to deepen her hypnotic state. That's utilization, which is one of the core principles of Ericksonian hypnosis. The other interesting thing about the Ericksonian style that I think uh, participants of the Solid Gold Convention might find uh, intriguing is that its orientation is to the present and the future, not to the past. You know, when the David Elman style is all about regression to cause and that reaction. You know, he, he says you've got to hypnotize people, you've got to hypnotize them deeply into a somnambulistic state, and then you regress them to the cause of their problem, and they lab-react, uh, have them emotionally re-experience whatever trauma is causing their issue. Uh, that's totally foreign to the Ericksonian style. Regression is not really part of the style. Erickson could do regressions and did, but it wasn't where his action, uh, primary focus was. The primary focus is an, okay, this person has a problem. It may be rooted in their past, and it's useful to know about that, but our, our, our focus is going to be what resources do we need to give them now so that they can go forward from where they are. They don't, so if we get someone, uh, you know, a woman, uh, let's hypothetically say abused by an uncle in childhood, we do not need to have her re-experience that in a regression to cause. Instead, we need to get her into her hypnotic state, which is a resource state, and then we give her the resources that she needs going forward, uh, which is going to be some skills perhaps at forgiveness, it's going to be some understanding that you can have been, you can be victimized and still become a victor. It's going to be self-confidence uh, to take control of your narrative for going forward. And that's what Erickson would do. It was a very different orientation. Um, he believed that the unconscious mind, and he used the term conscious mind, unconscious mind, uh, and sometimes the collective unconscious mind, rather than talking about subconscious mind, uh, he believed the unconscious mind was intrinsically benevolent. It was vast and deep and wide, but it doesn't have good communication with the conscious mind. It functions with a certain degree of autonomy. And if you can put a person in touch with their unconscious process, the unconscious mind, which knows the client better than the hypnotic operator ever will, will guide the client to the resources that they need to have to heal. So it's really a, a, a client-centered, very optimistic uh, a way of, of doing hypnosis, which is part of what I prize about it. It sounds from what you're suggesting that any hypnotist could virtually, learning the Ericksonian hypnotist techniques, uh, virtually transform their practice. Oh, yeah. Well, even if you're, you know, say, a five-path practitioner or a, a practitioner of the Elman or Omni School, uh, you still talk to your clients in the pre-talk. And Erickson would g gives you resources that you can use to actually do suggestions embedded in the pre-talk so that even before you've begun your formal hypnotic process, a lot of your work is already done. That's the core of my technique. When I talk to a client, do, I do 60-minute sessions, and when I, the client will be hypnotized in about 25 minutes of that session. The, uh, when I do the, the, the pre-talk, that's where I'm actually laying down most of the suggestions that I want the client to absorb. So to some degree, the formal trance is just a, a ritual ratification of the suggestions I have already given the client 
using Ericksonian language patterns in the pre-talk. So, so it's a very different way of, of thinking of this. Okay. I, I, can, I can hear that. It's, it sounds really exciting to me as well. And the those who come to the solid gold, um, they're going to be able to not just to not just participate in what your the, the program that you're teaching about Ericksonians there. Uh, it sounds to me they may also, and not may also, but will be able to leave the Solid Gold Weekend and actually start putting this into work in their practice. That's absolutely, that's absolutely my hope. Uh, yeah, I, I intend, my intention is, I'm designing the, 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 the seminar that way, that when, no matter what kind of hypnosis you like to practice, you're going to leave my presentation with a new skill set that will enrich whatever it is you're already doing. Uh, you're not just going to learn about Ericksonian techniques in an academic way. You're going to have techniques that you can use. So you're going to know about using metaphors. You're going to know about the importance of telling stories in the pre-talk, which draw people in. You're going to understand about seating. Seating is a, a technique that a lot of Ericksonian practitioners do, which is you just uh, indirectly suggest things to clients on every level. For example... One of the things I advocate here, uh, both for um, uh, my cancer patients and for my weight management patients, is what I call the sugar divorce. Get sugar completely out of your diet, period. If you were to go through my pantry, you would find no sugar. If we uh, had discovered sugar recently, we would ban it as a toxic substance. It predisposes to 11 different forms of cancer and a whole bunch of other medical problems. So if uh, that is something I would include in my work with every client. So, But if you came to my office, one of the first things that happen is I ask you, would you like some coffee, tea, or spring water? We offer that to every client at the start of their session. And if I get a client that says, oh, yeah, I'll have coffee. I'd like it uh, with cream and sugar. I would say, well, the cream's no problem, but we have no sugar here. I don't allow it in my home. I work from a home office. Uh, so just not allowing it is a seeding. I'm making it clear to the client that sugar is not favored here and that it is completely possible to enjoy your coffee without sugar. And, in fact, you're going to have the opportunity to do that if you ask me for a cup of coffee. So we... Uh, another thing I, I have is that I think clutter is a de-energizing uh, thing. If you have a cluttered environment, it reaches out and pulls energy out of you every time you walk past a pile of clutter. So I advocate for a kind of somewhat minimalist and curated lifestyle as a way of conserving energy because uh, you need that energy to heal, especially if you're fighting a life-changing diagnosis like cancer. So if you go through my, my home, because, I, again, I'm home, I work from a home office, you would see there is no clutter. There is nothing on any horizontal surface that isn't there for a specific reason. And that becomes another suggestion. It's seeding about the dangers of clutter and how easy it is to avoid clutter. So those are techniques that anyone can use. Another really popular Ericksonian technique is called pattern interruption. I do it all the time. Uh, 
Pattern interruption is when someone is expecting sort of a ritual response from you, and you do something else. And that forces them to stop and think about what you just said, and opens a doorway to a deeper level of communication. So, for example, people will often routinely ask me, well, how are you today? And instead of saying, I'm fine, thank you, I'll say, I'm overworked, underpaid, unconsulted, it's very sad, how about yourself? I didn't give them the ritual response that they were expecting. I interrupted the pattern. And now they have to think about what I just said. And a lot of people will then proceed to say, well, you know, I feel exactly the same way. I I really got to find another job. And it just opens up the communication. Or sometimes people will ask me that same question. I'll say, well, how are you? Is it better than I deserve? And people will, will chuckle about that. And they'll say, well, which means I'm getting away with something. I always am in favor of getting away with things. And again, they'll, they'll laugh. It opens up a deeper communication. There are lots of ways you can do pattern interruptions with your clients. And when you do that, you deepen the rapport between your client and yourself. And Erickson is totally about deepening rapport. In fact, his whole approach to a client is you, you, you start out with uh, uh, an unconditional positive regard for your client. And then you approach the client with the mode, with, with the intent to build rapport. That's why a lot of people um, who kind of do this, you know, dating uh, hypnosis and, you know, covert su- uh, uh, seduction like Erickson's techniques because they, they, they've, they've copied his rapport building techniques. So you deepen that rapport so the client really feels you're on their side and that you really get them. And uh, then you proceed to do the hypnosis and they're now completely open to persuasion. And so when you do your suggestion pattern, it's much more effective because the client really thinks they've got a bond with you. And so something like seating, like a pattern interruption, the use of metaphors, um, these dramatically improve the effectiveness of hypnosis. And a lot of what Erickson did was the use of stories. In fact, I've got a book here on my desk, uh, The Teaching Tales of Milton Erickson by Sidney Rossin. Uh, again, you know, 300 pages. Um, these are the stories that Erickson would often tell his clients. You can get stories from anywhere, but Erickson often used them from his own childhood. And uh, when he did that, uh, stories have a way of drawing you in to the narrative. And that overcomes resistance. And then they have a way of showing you a different perspective. Uh, just a, a client I saw last night. Um, I told her a story about when I was a young guy. I, I did nine years as a professional chef when I was a young person. When I was a, an apprentice in the kitchen, I was given a, a, a basket of clams and told to clean them so that we could use them to make clam chowder. And so I proceeded to, you know, get a brush and, you know, cut the sink and, and clean the clams up. Then one of the first cooks who didn't like the fact that I had been hired uh, came over and looked at what I was doing and said, hey, no, that, that, that's just not good enough. You've got to get all of this gunk off the clams. So he handed me a putty knife and actually wanted me to use it to scrape the shells absolutely clean. So a job that should have taken me 
15 minutes took four hours. The executive chef comes over, looks at what I'm doing, says, what in the world are you doing? They don't have to be that clean. We're going to strain the broth once we, we cook them. Uh, you just All you do is take a brush and just get the dirt off them. That's all, we, all I want you to do. And that's when I realized that some of the people around me don't necessarily have my best interests at heart. That there could be people in my environment who were out to get me, and I needed to maintain a healthy boundary and not just believe everything I was told. So I told her that story because she needed to learn how to set boundaries in her own life. And because I told the story about cleaning clams, she got the fact that, okay, I can't just trust people in my family and in my environment. That's how Erickson worked. He wouldn't just propositionally say, you know, you can't trust everyone. He'd tell a story sort of like my story about clams. See how it works? I sure do. That's terrific. Let me ask you, uh, coming from a marketing background, as I sometimes do, Mm -hmm. how would you let potential clients know that you're using something that is even, not necessarily superior, well, but maybe it is, to other ways to do hypnotism and hypnosis? Oh, yeah. Well, well, uh, first, the, the style of hypnosis I do is electronic. So the client's going to be hooked up to a biofeedback machine. Uh, they're going to see I'm at a very complicated uh, electronic console during the hypnosis. I use a lot of pre-recorded material. It's all my voice, but uh, it uses multiple different hypnotic techniques. And I show the client how I am uh, phasing between different techniques based upon how the biofeedback system tells me they're responding, uh, that there's both an art and a science to what I do. But also, even when we talk, I would say, to the client, I am using techniques developed by Dr. Milton Erickson and others in his wake about how to, talk, how to build rapport, how to get you, how to understand what you're dealing with. Uh, Erickson emphasized what he called the principle of cooperation. Ericksonian interactions with a client is not an authoritarian encounter where you got the hypnotist doing something to the client. It's a team. And the hypnotic operator and the client are the two members of that team. But I work with a coaching model. I'm showing you how to use hypnotic abilities that you already have. And I'm showing you how to use them in an effective way to achieve your goals and things that will serve you better. So even when we just talk conversationally, I'm still using those techniques. And if you're curious about how all this is done, I'd be happy to give you a reading list. So that's kind of the the way I I do it. And so I establish my expertise, but also I make it clear that this is a team effort. If the client succeeds, it's the client's success, not mine. If the client fails, it's the client failure, not mine. Um, The... uh, so uh, you, you create what used to be called the therapeutic alliance. I don't like the word therapy, but um, but it, it's a team effort. We're, we're working together to solve your problem. I'm not going here to fix you. Um, and so it's it's a whole different energy around the hypnotic encounter than you get with some of the other systems. No, what I think in terms of Marketing, like 
I mentioned. Mm-hmm. The, um, and what you're describing is when you are with a client and working with and you help them understand that they are as in, involved with making whatever help there's going to be is... That's right. It's, it's, it's their responsibility. Absolutely. They're doing the work. Sort of I'm just showing them how. Right. Now, if you were trying to let the world know, well, not necessarily the world. If you're trying to let some of the community know, there's there's something special in treat for you if you come here to be a client. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, again, uh, you have a way to do that. I'm, I'm known I'm known for doing medical hip dialysis. I mean, I've had a research program at, at for 30 years at a major Lagrange hospital. I got four free clinics uh, that are done uh, that are hosted by hospitals or wellness centers. So I'm known for my work with medical issues. So people who come to me are coming with that expectation, and they typically my referrals. I, I do place one ad. Uh, in a local paper, but that's the only advertising I do. Everything else is word of mouth. Uh, so it's a little bit different for me. But if, if I were just a general practice hypnotist and looking as a way of expanding my market reach, I mean, I would consider, you know, these techniques for uh, indirect hypnotic suggestion, they're techniques for persuasion. Anyone can learn them and use them effectively. If you're trying to, if you're a car salesman trying to get someone to buy a used car, these techniques are going to be helpful to you. Um, it's it's a way of make it's a way of making you more persuasive. So you could easily take this material and uh, turn it into uh, things that you could market to the business community, to the uh, to any helping profession. I mean, if you're a chiropractor looking to increase compliance of your chiropractic patients, these techniques would help you build rapport with your chiropractic patients and have them want to come back for their ongoing treatment. Um, anyone can benefit by using this. We see this in neurolinguistic programming. Uh, NLP has a whole section for applications in the business setting. And a lot of uh, people who uh, come out of the NLP world are uh, oriented to increasing persuasiveness in the business setting. And that's fine. I just find NLP, the caveat here, I've never been certified in NLP. I mean, I go back to first generation Virginia Satir and uh, Milton Erickson, uh, so the, the sources of NLP. But I've never actually formally trained in it if I've read, read the usual books. But um, the, I think NLP is very formulaic and a cookbook kind of approach, and I don't much like that. I like the more organic and, and intuitive uh, approach. But even just learning what I'm going to share at Solid Gold about how to create linkages, how to build rapport, uh, how to get a, a yes set with a client, uh, how uh, you can realize that even if a person's looking to buy a boat from you and you're a boat salesman, that you're going to be able to understand how you can guide them using language about how wonderful it's going to be to sail that boat on that classy water with the wind in your hair and the smell of the sea and put them into a trance-like resource state that increases your rapport. And they're more likely to buy a boat from you. So I think anyone can benefit by becoming more persuasive. And that is at core what Erickson was doing. He was he, he, he thought he was doing psychiatry, um, but what he was was doing persuasion. 
He was persuading people to solve their health problems, mental health problems. Um, but all of us are going to benefit by being more persuasive. For sure. Help. The, uh, Mark, who's on the call with us as well, is my co-author on a book called How to, uh, How to Position Yourself as the Obvious Expert. Um, mm -hmm. I read it. You not, you not only have, yeah, I know. <laughs> not only have you heard it, but you've read it. <laughs> but mm -hmm. the way, and it's just marvelous the way the Ericksonian approach uh, would help any anyone that has a, in a client type position want to go to such such a hypnotist who yeah who understands that I have to do the work myself with your help or at least with your guidance or with your coaching. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, that's that that's what it is and that that's how I I mean I'm uh, uh I, I position myself as a medical hypnotist and a hypno coach. I'm one of the first people Lisa Halpern trained at uh, hypno coaching. Um yes. the uh and that's how that's how I approach the whole thing. Uh that you know, I'm not a mental health practitioner. I'm not doing something to the client, or I'm not treating them, nor am I prescribing substances. I'm showing them how to use their naturally occurring trans state to serve them better. So it's a it's a much more optimistic, um, positive approach. And uh that positivity becomes a, a guiding theme in the work I do. Even the people who are frightened because they received the diagnosis of a life changing uh medical condition. Mm. Um and, you know, so what I'm doing is I'm persuading them that all is not lost, that it is not as scary as you think it is, and that you have abilities, there are things you can do with your mind and lifestyle to change your odds and change your outlook. That's the whole approach that I take. It's a coaching approach. And uh, I think it's extremely helpful. And also it gives you a way of understanding things um, that uh, even have a darker aspect. Like one of Erickson's uh, principles, he called the transderivational search. When you are presented with something that is frightening, you pull into your internal internal world, searching frantically through the card catalog of the unconscious mind, looking for anything you have that's a resource that helps that could help you deal with what just happened. When you're in that internal pulled-in state, you are dissociated. You are in hypnotic trance of some sort. Um, so, when the doctor says, you know, I'm sorry, the biopsies come back and you have cancer, instantly, that patient does a transderivational search to try to figure out what the heck am I going to do now? What do I know that might help me deal with this? When they're in that state, they're more suggestible. The next thing the doctor says will be internalized as a hypnotic suggestion. So if the doctor says, and we think you have about three years to live, the doctor has just given a post-hypnotic suggestion to die on a particular schedule to a hypnotized person. And one of my techniques that I do with people in this situation is I can take them back and overwrite the harm that the doctor did. I call it medical hexing. Um, the, uh, 
but and, uh, helping people understand the transderivational search and that you do this whenever you're presented with anything novel, that helps them understand what happened to them and allows them to discount in their mind what the doctor said. But I'm taking, I'm giving that too much credence because I was in a transderivational search when I heard it. And that becomes important. And so as when the teacher said, you know, you're stupid, you're never going to amount to anything. When the, when the mother says to her daughter, you're ugly, all of these things become internalized as hypnotic suggestions if because the person was in a transderivational state when they heard it. So once you understand this process, it gives you some degree of control over it. So those are the sorts of things that you, you come away from an Ericksonian encounter uh, with, with tools and understandings and, and uh, new ways of thinking about your past experience. And I love the way you Makes bring sense. that to the solid gold weekend. Because mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of uh, twice been after me for a while. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just Dwight's been after me for a while to do this, and I decided I would. Uh, the uh, the concern I have is, of course, the people who are heavily into neurolinguistic programming and want it to seem want this stuff to seem a lot more complicated than it is. Uh, people who are heavily into Ericksonian hypnosis again will kind of take the view that you have to study for years and years and years to be able to use this stuff at all. No, you don't. It's pretty simple, really. I can I can teach you metaphoric communication in an hour, you know, and uh, you'll be able to use it effectively immediately. Yeah, you want to read the Langton's book, that's just great, but you don't need to do that to be able to uh, become a better hypnotist. So that, that's kind of why I'm looking forward to doing it and also realizing I'm probably going to take some heat for c- certain quarters of the profession. Well, because this stuff is easier than you think. <laughs> I would think. Uh, that's okay. wonderful. Perfect. If you are going to uh, invite the people that are on the call and are going to listen to the podcast uh, in general to uh, consider visiting the Solid Gold uh, weekend, uh, mm-hmm. how would you how would you put that out to them? Well, I would say if you if if you find what I've shared with you in this podcast persuasive, <laughs> that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> persuasive, yes. persuasive. Um, if you if you find if, if you're thinking as you listen to me that this is something I could benefit from, I could become a better hypnotist if I knew about this stuff. Even if I'm going to continue to be a five pad practitioner or whatever, um, you know, then I would encourage you to come to the Solid Gold to taste and see, because you're going to get three and a half hours of this. And that will tell you whether or not you want to make the investment in a day-long formal training. So, I mean, the, that's one aspect of it. But you're going to come away even from the three-hour uh, tasting menu that I'll be presenting. You're going to come away from that with some new skills that you're going to be able to use right away. Or at least that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I'm shooting for. Perfect. So that, that's, so that's what I would, would encourage. Yeah. And and I. I'm really grateful to you for sharing what you've done today, and I think intriguing, at least it certainly should have intrigued the people uh, that well, listen to the podcast, <laughs> you know? Uh, Mark, do you have yeah. any thoughts? Yeah, Mark? Uh, you know, I, I, I just find it very fascinating. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you out there in Las Vegas. That's all gold. And if anyone wanted to connect you with you and learn more about, 
uh, all the other things you do, uh, Scott, what's the best way? I saw you got a very informative uh, website, but what, what's the best way for anyone yeah. else to uh, The absolute best, best way is to go to my website, which is www.csgiles.org. That's C is in Charles, my first name, S is in Scott, my middle name, then my last name, G-I-L-E-S dot O-R-G, because I'm a nonprofit organization, not a commercial business. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of material available online, including self-hypnotic inductions that you can download to your computer. I have an, e- I have a, uh, uh, an email newsletter you can sign up for. If you sign up for that, we send you a series of essays about the hypnotic arts and sciences and some of the scientific data behind it. Uh, so you have a chance to see how I utilize all of this material in my work with clients. And uh, feel free. I mean, I really like it when colleagues will, will visit my website and uh, take advantage of the material I make there. In fact, I even give permission on the website that you can download the recordings that I have and use them for your own clients, provided you don't take my name off and you're not charging for it. So if you actually want to have things that you could give out to your clients for sleep enhancement, hypnotic healing, uh, you can just download those free and make your own copies. And provided my name stays on the label, uh, I give you permission to do that. So there's 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 lots of stuff that I make available, and so that's the best way to get a get a sense of what what I'm all about. Well, thank you so much for your time, Scott. Very informative. Look forward to seeing you in Vegas. I'm looking forward to it too. Thanks again, Scott. Okay. All right. We all set. Bye. Okay. Take care. You bet. All have a fantastic a day. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been an Obvious Expert production. You've been listening to Hypnosis Podcasts. For more actionable tips and insight, subscribe to this podcast today so you're the first to hear new episodes jam-packed with exclusive content. Check out www.hypnosispodcasts.com. Thanks for listening.